right. Thank you guys uh, for continuing to be patient. So we had really gotten in a rhythm being outside and being inside presents new challenges to us as we worship together. So the uh, music and technology people are hard at work and every week we are learning new things. I would prefer to not learn new things anymore. Uh, I would prefer, and I'm sure they would prefer, that there's nothing new to learn, but unfortunately that is not the case. So thank you guys for your patience as we figure out these different dynamics. I also want to say uh, thank you. We had a cleanup day here yesterday at the church. Had a good amount of people show up for that. You might notice that it looks really nice out there. So thank you to everybody that showed up for that and organized that and everything. Uh, with that, let's dive into today's message. So the other day I was flipping through TV channels looking for something to entertain myself for a few minutes. As usual, I couldn't find anything I was particularly excited about. The normal options of reality TV, sitcom reruns, and cable news lacked any appeal for me. As I continued to search, I noticed that one of my favorite movies of all time was playing. Despite the fact that I've seen this movie many times before, I decided to see what was happening. There are a few scenes in it that I can re-watch again and again. The movieator was Gladiator with Russell Crowe, which came out back in 2000. It is one of those movies that gets rerun constantly on cable probably because it is a fantastic movie. The plot, for those who have never seen it, is as follows. Crow plays a Roman general named Maximus. Through no fault of his own, he makes an enemy of the new Roman emperor who has his family executed and tries to kill him as well. Maximus ends up as a slave fighting in gladiatorial contests. Turns out he is the Michael Jordan of gladiators, though. Nobody can beat him. In every scene of the movie, Maximus is trying to survive. He's also trying to get revenge on the cruel emperor that killed his family, and save the Roman Empire in the process. About halfway through the movie, the same emperor who murdered Maximus' family decides to have gladiators come from all over the empire to Rome to fight in the Colosseum as part of a larger PR campaign. When I flipped on Gladiator the other day, the scene that was unfolding was Maximus' first battle in the Colosseum. He and a group of about 10 other slaves stand huddled in the center of the arena as thousands of bloodthirsty fans cheer for their gruesome deaths. As the gladiators look to the gate from which their opponents will spring 
Maximus calmly asks, has anyone served in the army before? He then says, whatever comes out of these gates, we have a better chance of survival if we work together. You understand? If we stand together, we survive. In today's text from 1 Corinthians, Paul has a very similar message to what the fictional hero Maximus said in the midst of the Colosseum. This is our third week in a sermon series on the book of 1 Corinthians. This letter was written to a small group of Christians existing in the adverse environment of the ancient Roman Empire. What Paul writes to them applies just as readily to the church today. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We will begin in verse 10 and go through verse 17. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 10 and finishing up in verse 17. Hear the word of the Lord. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Paul wrote the letter of 1 Corinthians out of a concern for believers there. They are divided. They operate as if being a Christian is an individual pursuit. It is not. Like the slaves fighting for survival in the movie Gladiator, the Christians in Corinth have a better chance of survival if they work together. Unity must be a priority for the church. In this world, division is the norm. To not be divided, unity must be worked towards. It's not something that just happens. The love that Jesus showed on the cross is the love that we are supposed to show one another. This love creates unity. It is the power of the cross playing out in the present Unity comes when Christians share the mind of Christ together. Unity in the church must be 
prioritize. Paul appeals to the people at the church of Corinth by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is an important request. He's not just saying, hey, you know what, guys? It would be really nice. It would be really nice if you Christians could just get along a little bit better. I ask my kids to do things all the time. Clean their rooms, vacuum the rug in the living room, take the dog for a walk. But there are other times that I appeal to them. Often it is for their own well-being and safety. About a month ago, my family, me and my wife and my four boys, went on a hike up in the White Mountains to Hedgehog Mountain. It's just outside of North Conway. And as you're going on this trail, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a rock outcropping. And as you go along this rock outcropping, it, it drops off several hundred feet. I didn't just ask my kids to, hey, be careful, guys. I appeal to them. I appeal to them to be careful. Paul is not just asking the Corinthians to do him a favor. He is pleading with them to be unified. This request is made for their own good. This verse is one of the times I prefer the King James translation. It says, Now I beseech you, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Paul is crying out to these people to be unified for their own good. <clears throat> the power of the appeal being made in these verses is that it is tied to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Unity is what Jesus desires. You see this again and again throughout the New Testament. Paul's appeal to the Corinthians is in line with what Jesus demands as Lord. When God or Jesus commands something, it is not optional. Think about the Ten Commandments. So the Seventh Commandment says, don't commit adultery. Now, if you were in a conversation with somebody that claimed to be a Christian, you're talking to them, they're like, yeah, yeah, well, that one's optional. The do not commit adultery, that's an optional one. I, I'm choosing to disregard that one. You're like, what are you talking about? This isn't optional. This is something you are commanded to do. Aspiring to unity is not an optional aspect of Christian obedience. Any Christians not actively working for unity with other Christians are defying Jesus as Lord. Unity doesn't just happen. We must want to be unified in mind and judgment. Now, most Christians, most people would say they want unity. Nobody likes disunity. Nobody likes division in their relationships and communities. Right now, the country is incredibly divided, and people everywhere recognize this is a problem, right? While everyone wants unity, few people are willing to work to make it happen. It's interesting, you see these political commentators, 
And they say in one breath, oh, we want unity, we want unity. And then they blame their adversaries in the next breath for not being unified. Is it surprising to us that blaming others for not being unified does not magically lead to some sort of unity? Unity only happens in the church when all the parties involved in a community take personal responsibility for making it happen. Blaming others for a lack of unity, is the, it's so easy. It's so easy to blame other people for not making unity happen. You know why? Because people mess up all the time. All the time. You, have plenty, you will always have plenty of proof. Sometimes they mess up accidentally. Sometimes they mess up on purpose. But I guarantee you, it is not hard to find evidence for how others are inhibiting unity through their actions. It takes a tremendous amount of work. Unity happens when Christians take the time to understand the motivations of others and why they fail. You see so little unity in churches because there are so few people willing to make the effort that Jesus clearly commands. In this world, division is the norm. It comes about naturally. We are selfish creatures. Verse 12 is not really about who the people claim they are following. It's not really about Paul, Apollos, Cephas, or Christ. All those teachers are repeating basically the same message. Paul, Apollos, and Cephas, or Peter, as he is more widely known, are not diverging in core matters of faith. They are different guys expressing the same message in the way they have been gifted to do so. The word that gets repeated in verse 12 is what we should recognize as the source of division. I, 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 I. The people are focused on themselves. Their focus reflects one of the ways that ancient Corinth was similar to modern life. Like us, they were incredibly individualistic. It's not just that they believed in individual rights or that we believe the same. Their problem and ours is more than anything that their individualism was the lens through which they saw the world. Their faith in Christ had been incorporated into their religion of self. The desire for unity existed then as it does now. It was just way down the priority list for the people that made up the church. Often when people say they want unity, it means they want everyone to think and act as they do. I get that. I think the world would be a better place if everyone thought just like I do. There'd be no division in our country, taxes would be lower, prisons would be emptier, and health care would be cheaper. In church, the music would be just what I like. It would probably sound like the Avett brothers with Christian lyrics. If people would do what I want them to do, if they would think like I think they should think, 
I wouldn't have any trouble getting along with them. It would be easy. You know what the problem is that I've noticed with everyone else? They don't realize that I know what's best. How silly is that? I can't unify myself with such foolishness. In churches, unity should be the norm. We must recognize we are part of a living thing. At the beginning of verse 13, Paul asked rhetorically, is Christ divided? That is a profound question. Individual Christians are incorporated into the church through Christ. The church is Christ's body. Paul makes this point throughout Corinthians. And elsewhere in his letters, in Galatians 2.20, he writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. A chapter later in Galatians 3, he talks about baptism, saying, For in Christ you are all sons of God, through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. If we are in Christ, we should have the mind of Christ. Worldly attempts at having a group of people exhibit a unified mind inevitably results in a loss of freedom. When we think of historical examples of people having a unified mind, the mental pictures that spring forth are the soldiers of the Third Reich marching in lockstep, or the enforced homogeneity of Soviet Russia or modern-day North Korea. This type of unity is brought about through coercion. It oppresses the uniqueness of the individual in favor of the unity of the group. The unity for those that comes in Christ does not function this way. God has uniquely formed every person. A Christian community will have unity in the universal while exhibiting diversity in the particulars. It is not a unity enforced from above. It is a unity produced by the work of the Holy Spirit from within. In calling us to unity, the letter of 1 Corinthians is not calling us to all be the same. We are called to pursue a unified mind. Every Christian is supposed to have the mind of Christ. The way that mind manifests itself will vary depending on the unique ways God has created us and the experiences we have had throughout our lives. The mind of Christ was exemplified on the cross. Paul writes, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Throughout the letter, 
of Corinthians, Paul consistently communicates that Christianity does not consist in a lot of talking. People that lived in Corinth, man, they really, really liked to talk. It was how they entertained themselves. The Corinthians seemed to have assumed eloquence and speech was wisdom. For them, the the medium was the message. Paul pushes back on this. The power of the cross is not tied to words. It is tied to action. This is kind of disappointing, honestly. It's a lot easier to talk than it is to do. It's a lot easier to tell everybody else how they need to change, how they need to be different so that unity can happen. Doing requires real sacrifice. Jesus came into this world doing. He traveled around for three years, backing up everything he said with action. Ultimately, the truth Jesus proclaimed was confirmed on the cross. The truth of the words Jesus spoke are inseparable from what Jesus accomplished hanging from the tree. The cross is the event that made relationship between God and man fully possible. Through it, the church was formed. All who call on the name of the Lord are connected to Jesus and through him to one another. The church and every person who makes it up are supposed to be living out the action of the cross. That is the sustaining impulse of our unity. On the cross, the mind of God found its fullest expression. The love of God is what put Jesus on that cross. He is the personification of God's love. God is love and Jesus is God. This love manifested itself in sacrifice. There could be no greater act of love physically abused emotionally humiliated, isolated from God, the source of life. The power of the cross is the power of Christ's great love and action. Christians are inheritors of that power. The love of God is supposed to flow through us to fellow believers and out into the world. We are called to forgive one another. We are called to live sacrificially for each other. Divisions are evidence that we are not showing the love of the cross to each other. We should take divisions seriously. They isolate us. They rob us of the power of the cross. In the movie Gladiator, Maximus tells those in the arena with him, we have a better chance of survival if we work together. You understand, 
If we stay together, we survive. That was true for the church in Corinth. The same is true for this church. We stand in the arena of this world recognizing that it is not favorable to us. If we stand together, our faith will bind us to one another. It will strengthen us. If we don't, we will fail alone. Unity is not a nice thing. Something that improves our lives, but that we could, we're okay without it. Unity is an absolute necessity that we are commanded to pursue. To be unified, we must have the mind of Christ. We cannot do away with the divisions on our own. My personal perspective or yours cannot dominate. The only source of unity for the church is living out the love of the cross towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, the adverse conditions of this world are increasingly obvious right now. And it is frustrating, and it is easy to despair, and it is easy to notice the ways that people fail us, that our brothers and sisters in Christ fail us, whether intentionally or unintentionally, Lord. I pray, I pray that you would help us to show the love of the cross, that we would seize that great power, Lord that it would operate in our hearts and minds. That it wouldn't just lead to us talking, but that it would lead to us doing, Lord. That we would do for others what you have first done for us. I thank you and I praise you for these people. I thank you for the desire that exists to be unified, Lord. And I pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment as we determine what actions we as individuals and and as a community should take in pursuit of that unity, Lord. I thank you and I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.